And good morning, everyone. Oh, this is the top of the morning to each of you. This is the best time of the day. Um, <clears throat> glad to see you. We're going to have a good time this morning as we um, open uh, up our subject today, which is creative outreach ministries that work. Uh, and we're all looking for, you know, we're all looking for those things. And so I know that's why you're here. Um, I have a few slides I want to go through to begin with, sort of set the table, and then um, I hope that we can spend most of our time in me sharing with you some of the things that we've done and how we've done it, and then giving you opportunity to ask questions and make comments and so on and so forth. Okay, so this is going to be an interactive time, and uh, brother, I'm going to need one of those sheets as well. I have it on my computer, but it's up there, and I can't get to it from here. <laughs> Thank you. <clears throat> ah, number of years ago, the Reader's Digest did a survey on Seventh-day Adventists. They asked their readership what they knew about Seventh-day Adventists. I know this is old, and other, other uh, surveys, many surveys have been done since this. But this sort of encapsulates the whole thing. I mean, this is what we meet in our communities. Um, uh, the, the misinformation about Seventh-day Adventists, okay? Adventists live on fruits and vegetables. <laughs> okay? This was one of the things they, that, that came out of that survey. Adventists misrepresent Bible teachings. <clears throat> you ever heard that? Of course you have. Adventists are old-fashioned in dress, and they do not play musical instruments. <laughs> they need to come to camp meeting, right? Amen? <laughs> oh, my. Who do they have us confused with? Yeah, they have us confused with Mennonites and Amish, and, they're, you know, they're good people, but... Um, they have us confused with them, and who they, who do they have us confused with uh, about musical instruments? Church of Christ. Some branches, the more conservative branches, Church of Christ. All right. <clears throat> Adventists are ignorant of the real world, especially the exclusion of medical help. <laughs> do they have any idea that Adventists operate the largest Protestant health system in the world? Wow, how do people get these ideas about us? Adventists are associated with the watchtower. <laughs> uh, well, when it comes to medical help, who do they have us confused with? Christian science. Okay? Uh, they have us, uh, of course, you, you, meet, you, you meet this miss information about us relative to Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons, okay? It means if we are going to be effective in reaching these people, we've got a mountain to climb, mm -hmm. see? But it's not new. What these people see about us, if a, if a survey, if Gallup had taken a survey in 31 AD, what do you suppose they'd have found? This is what they would have found. Jesus was illegitimate. He was a, a drunkard. He hangs out with low life. <laughs> He's a Sabbath breaker. All you have to do is glean the, the Gospels to find this stuff, see? He's a blasphemer. He's demon-possessed. He's a rabble-rouser. <laughs> He's a seditionist. Did Jesus have a mountain to climb? Well, how did he go about breaking down 
all of these, all of this misinformation, all of this prejudice against him. How do you do it? Christ's method alone will bring true success in reaching the people. That is why if we want to be successful, we need to spend our time focusing on how Jesus did evangelism, how he broke down the prejudice, all of these things that people were saying about him. How did he do it? Well, we have an idea. In Acts 10, 38, we find these words, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing what? He went about doing good <clears throat> and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. You see, what argument would not accomplish, loving ministry, helping people with their felt needs, won their hearts, opened doors, as we saw yesterday from that statement from the servant of God. This has a way of opening doors to human hearts, and that's what we've got to find a way to do. See? And so we think our mountain is big, Jesus' mountain was bigger, <laughs> see? But he went around, instead of combating it, you know, talking against it, um, creating, you know, all kinds of animosity in the community, he just went around doing good. Um, this is an Eckenroth paraphrase. I ran across this statement. I've looked for it as I was putting these slides together. <clears throat> I looked for it, and uh, I need to get on the internet and see if I can find it. So this is a paraphrase. I read this years ago. Ben Franklin is quoted as, quoted as saying, when other people say bad things about you, live in such a way nobody will believe it. <laughs> okay? See, that's, that's, that's good advice, right? Live in such a way that nobody's going to believe what they're saying about you. And you've heard <clears throat> Rick talk about, you know, all of the angst that has developed because of the book he's written. See? Well, what's the best thing to do? Attack them? No. No, no. Just do good stuff. You know, ignore the ignore all of the all of that. Just go about doing good. What did Jesus say about loving your enemies? See, Jesus practiced what he preached. See, love the people that think ill of you. Franklin says, live in such a way that nobody believe it anyway. See, okay. I'm going to try to move through this. That's why we need bridging ministries, because. Christ's method alone will give true success in reaching the people. When people said bad things about him, Jesus, as Peter said later, he did not revile again. When he was reviled, did he revile again? No, he didn't react that way. He just went about doing good. And if you do good in your communities, as you begin to reach people in your communities and interact with them, and they find, they're going to find out you're totally different than what they've, what they've thought. And then you've created a bridge there. You've broken down prejudice. You've opened a heart that is ready to receive the, the message. See, our greatest, our greatest challenge is getting people across the threshold of the church the first time. See, because they have all this misinformation. <clears throat> and they're fearful. You know, they may get an invitation to an evangelistic series. They'd like to respond to it. I mean, it catches their imagination, but going through those doors, they don't know what's going on in there. They know nothing about you except what they've heard in the community, see. And so they, they won't come. They're afraid. So you have to, you have to develop these bridging ministries in your church, and, and I understand that, you know, larger churches maybe have an easier time of this because they have more people, they have a greater gift, you know, inventory than a smaller church does. But I've seen it work in smaller churches as well as big ones. You just have to adapt. 
you don't have the resources to do it, and I'm not talking about money, I'm talking about talent resources. If you don't have the talent bank, your, your congregation is small, evaluate what you got and then use it. And as your church grows, God will bring and plant new seedlings in your garden. See, he'll, he'll bring them because he knows what you need. He'll bring them, he'll plant them in your garden, and then you can use them, see, to branch out into other things. Okay, need to move along. Christ's method, of, uh, method alone will give true success. Notice what he did. When people talked bad about him, he mingled with them. Then he sympathized with them because he was listening to them. He wasn't. See, he was playing music. He wasn't sharing the words at this point. He was just playing the music. And when they responded to the music, then he waited for opportunities to share the words. See? And we have it the other way around most of the time. We, we start with the, with the words. And unless you have credibility, <laughs> unless people trust you, they're not going to listen to what you say. If you want to find a way to their hearts, you do good things for them. Even if they treat you bad, you, you still love them. Sometimes you'll find people in your own congregation that will treat you badly. <laughs> what do you do? You revile against them again? No, no. Love them. Do good things for them. What does Solomon say? You, you'll heap coals of fire down on their heads if you do that. That was Jesus' method. I wish I could say, but I've always followed his method. There are things I'd like to go back and do over again. Wouldn't you? Hmm? Anybody here, here have anything you'd like to go back and do over again? Sure. Sure. <laughs> well, I, I, precisely, see. But, um, you know, we've all, we've all stumbled and made our mistakes, and hopefully we've learned from them the course of time. Um, you know, it's unfortunate when we make mistakes, but it's worse when we don't learn from them so we don't repeat them, okay? It's like Jack asked that man at the gas pump, do you like to read? He said, no. Jack said, I never asked that question again. See, he learned from that. Now he says, now he says, does your wife like to read? She's more likely to be the reader, huh? See, now he has more success, but he hasn't stumbled on that again. All of us have done that. Every one of us have done that. Like to go back and redo stuff. Of course, we can't, but we can learn. <clears throat> Notice, we should do as who did? Wherever he was, in the synagogue, by the wayside and along the edges of the lake, Galilee, um, or in the streets and of the little villages and towns, um, on the boat, thrust out a little from the land, at the Pharisees' feast, of the table of the publican, he spoke to men of the things pertaining to the higher life when he had opportunity. The hearts of his hearers were drawn to him. And this is why he had healed their sick, comforted their sorrowing ones, had taken their children in his arms and blessed them. Uh, who was it was talking? Was it Alden yesterday was talking? I think about, yeah, it was Alden. It said yesterday, if we did no evangelism at all, but just, you know, worked for our kids, we'd have double the membership we have right now. Don't overlook the kids. Don't overlook them. And don't treat them as if they know nothing. I've never felt it necessary to entertain the kids. Um, I can remember as a boy, four and five, going to evangelistic meetings, hearing some of our great evangelists of years ago. I understood what they were saying. I understood it on a child's level. But I knew about the state of the dead. I knew about the second coming. I knew about baptism. I knew about healthful living. I knew all of that. My, my understanding wasn't what it is now, of course. But I understood. 
don't feel it necessary to entertain your kids. I think that's one of the reasons why. In fact, I mentioned this to Alden last night as we were sitting on the platform. We're reaping the result of about three generations of entertainment with our kids. As it has shifted in that direction, and our kids have been considered too young to understand, see, um, the rates of loss, attrition, have increased. Uh, kids who are challenged with the gospel tend to leave less frequently and um, even if they do, they're more likely to come back. When you entertain them, you lose their respect. When you hold the standard high, they will respect you. They may not like what you, what you, you know, the standard you're holding. Hey, I was a teenager once. I came up in an age that has been characterized by our generation as legalistic. I didn't like, as a teenager, and I'm talking to you young, you young people who are here right now, I didn't care for some of the standards that, that my parents held and some of the church leaders held but I respected them. Hmm? I respected them. And I had a few years when I was, you know, stumbling along trying to find my way. But I always knew where I could come back to. Okay? <clears throat> I knew. Look, I often characterize it this way, and I'm getting off subject now. Sorry about that. I'm going to preach for a minute. <laughs> I often tell parents who have children wandering, and all of us have had those or have them. <clears throat> you are like a port. Your children are out here on the ocean. They're out here floating around. Um, they, you know, they're trying to find their own way. They, they may seem like they're rejecting your values and all of that, that you've instilled in them. But they always know where the port is. Now the problem is, if the port gets washed away in a big storm, and it's out floating out there too, <laughs> where have they got to go to? See, this is why it's so important for parents to remain faithful because that's a source of security to their kids. The church remains faithful. Church leadership remains faithful. It, it, it's a port that gives them security. They know they, where to come back to. See, But if we're out there floating around with them, hey, we're in trouble, right? Okay, I'll get back on subject. Here we go. <clears throat> he had taken their children in his arms. That is so important. And when he opened his lips to speak, their attention was riveted upon him. Ministry is so simple. If we follow Christ's example in doing good, Hearts will open to us as they did to him. Not abruptly, but with tact born of divine love, we can tell them of him. Christ Object Lessons 338 and 339. Now, this is important. We must learn to adapt our labors. We cannot be a wayside church that is locked in a traditional rut. If we're going to reach people, we just cannot do that. We need to hold faithfully to the gospel. But our methods of reaching people have to change. And of course, even then, there are valid methods and there are unbiblical methods to reach people. And that's some of this, we're, we're having to meet some of that today methods that are man-created and egocentric and, and um, 
are, are not valid. So even in our methodology, we have to be very careful. Christ's method alone. See? Not man's method. Not what may be coming out of the church growth movement, although there's, although there's some stuff there that we can profit from. You never saw error all alone by itself, did you? It's always mixed with just enough truth to make it palatable, to make it dangerous. But, you know, and, and I used to have a whole shelf full of books from the church growth movement, but everything that's good in that, you can find in the Bible and the spirit of prophecy. <clears throat> you don't have to go there. As Rick said last night, you don't have to go there to find out how to do ministry. In fact, you'll find a lot of stuff there that you don't want to do. It doesn't fit the Adventist system. It doesn't fit our mission. We don't need to go there. The whole roadmap is laid out in the spirit of prophecies you've seen, as I've shared it with you yesterday and today. It's all there. If we would just listen to these silent preachers, she says. If we just listen. But because it's so simple, we oftentimes overlook it. It's got to be complicated for us to give it any credibility at all. See? But the method is very simple. <clears throat> There's need of coming close to the people by how? Personal effort. There's no substitute. There's no shortcut to this. Personal effort. If less time were given to sermonizing, uh-oh, preachers. <laughs> less time was given to sermonizing and also members who are tend, tend to drive the message at their neighbors and at their family members. See? If less time were given to that and more time were spent in personal ministry, greater results would be seen. Ministry of healing. Uh, uh, yeah, 143. Now, we come down to the nuts and bolts of it. <clears throat> I think I have one more slide, and then we're going to just talk. This is crucial. Christian service, page 72. The formation of small companies as a basis of Christian effort has been presented to me by one who, and that's capitalized, one who cannot Air, or er, whichever you prefer. Who was this plan given to? This was given to the servant of God. Who was it given by? Who's the one she's talking about here? The Lord Jesus himself. The formation of small companies. We call it small groups. In some sense, the other churches have have gained the advantage of us here. They've been doing this for years. They find it works. The servant of God said this how many years ago? You know, we've had it all along. Formation of small companies. So, if that's the basis, if that's the bedrock, if that's the essence of successful ministry, then I've got to find out how to do it. Okay? Now, uh, we've been doing small groups <clears throat> for some time. Now, but I found that small groups have a shelf life of about six months. Have you found the same? How many have found that to be the case? They start out with a great deal of enthusiasm, then gradually they just, you know, they just diminish and then disband. Um, there's a reason for that, I think. They focus on Bible study and prayer, which they should do. That's got to be the absolute um, highest priority. That has to be highest priority. But if that's all a small group does, it will begin to lose vitality and will soon wash out, okay? A small group <coughs> must develop a mission statement. They must have a reason for existing. Now, that can, 
that should always be formed within the context and the framework of the Adventist mission, okay? That's very important. Uh, I believe in mission statements. Our, our men's group has a mission statement. I forgot to bring the copies of that, but I can run to the room for anybody that's interested in that. I'll get it to you after the meeting if you're interested. We have a mission statement that keeps us focused, keeps us on track, see? But it's, it's, it was developed, it took us two years to finally get it in shape where we felt comfortable with it. But it is a, it is a clear statement on Adventist mission as it relates to men, okay? They have to focus on outreach. Every small group has to have a missionary endeavor or they won't last. They have to have a reason for existing and that reason is to reach others for Christ. And as they begin to do that and they have success, revival and reformation takes place within their own hearts and they will hang together, they will stay together. That small group will not disintegrate. Now, people will move from one group to another. I would have people that would come to me occasionally and say, Pastor, you know, I'm in this group, in this ministry group, and I've enjoyed it, but I, I would like to start something over here. Can I do it? Sure. We'll help you develop that, and we'll plug in somebody else in that group to take your place, okay? So they don't have to stay in a group once they're there. They can move on to other things as God impresses them about ministry. That's it. So what do we do? Take your little handout now. <clears throat> First started this back in about eight, 1981, 1980 or 81 in that, in that area. Um, I was pastoring the church in South Bend, Indiana at the time. South Bend, Indiana Church, a fairly good-sized church. And I had a lot of talent, but uh, like most churches, uh, most of the people were sitting in the pews. I told you yesterday that's what brought this thing on, the challenge of how to get them out of the pews and get them into ministry. All I did was, you know, I told you yesterday, I was offering them a very narrow range of things that they could do to witness, very narrow. All I did was expand it. Now, I've given you a sheet of ideas. I haven't begun to even cover all of these to be involved in, it, in these, but these are ideas of things you can do. I hope this serves as a springboard. It will, you know, it will ignite a few brain cells. By the way, what time do I need to be done, David? Oh, no, I don't want to intrude on, on Gaines time. Do I have another 30 minutes? Oh, okay. So I can go to about 9.30? Okay. So we started with the things we had. For instance, um, I, um, I'd been doing five-day plans for years as a pastor. I decided to give that ministry away. I had people, medical people, in my congregation, number of people that were in the medical field, doctors, nurses, dentists, etc., that were more capable of doing this than I was. And so I approached, um, I approached one of them, and I said, would you be interested in taking on this ministry? Yeah, okay. We'll find another three or four, maybe five people at the most that have this, a similar interest, who you can work with, who you'd like to work with, and form a group, and I'll work with you, and I'll help you get through your first event. Now in South Bend, we had four large hospitals. We developed three stop smoking teams, each of them dedicated to one of those hospitals. One of them was St. Joseph's. Now, what is the biggest institution in South Bend, Indiana? <laughs> Notre Dame. You know, we had members that couldn't come to church on home games during the football season because they lived near the university, and if they left their homes, they couldn't get back. 
So in home games, we didn't expect to see them. They were watching, they were watching um, um, Andrew's worship service, or listening to it at that time. I'm not sure, I'm not sure they had t TV downlink at that time. Notre Dame. Anyway, we had a team that did five-day programs at St. Joseph Hospital, at Memorial Hospital, the Osteopathic Hospital. Each of those had a team. The hospitals supplied all the stuff. They bought all the materials. They supplied all the refreshments. All we did was bring the projectors. We were still in you know, film at that time. All we did was bring the projectors and the people, and they conducted the five-day plan. We had nuns, we had priests, and our five-day plans at St. Joseph Hospital. Do you think we had opportunity to build bridges to them, friendships to them, as well as to other people who came? You know, there'd be a, a priest sometimes or two, a nun or two in our group, but the group was much larger than that. Uh, we asked a team, I, I worked with a team for six months, I tried to bring two teams on a year, no more than two teams. You, you know, you can only hold so many babies at once. <laughs> you have quadruplets, you've got a time of it, see. So you bring on a baby as, that you can handle, and you get them through their first event, and then they're on their own, you ask them for two events a year. They can do more if they want to, but you don't ask for more than that, so you don't burn them out. And they have the choice of when they want to do their event. You put it on the church evangelism cal calendar. You'd be surprised at how quickly your calendar can fill with events. You're doing something evangelistic every month. I remember while I was still there, um, one, at, at one occasion I was holding a Revelation seminar in our gymnasium of our school, which was across the parking lot from the church. There was a weight control team doing a weight control program in the boardroom, same, same time. There was another team doing a stress management program in the youth chapel. We're all doing it at the same time. None of us were conflicting with each other. And we had a parking lot full of cars. <laughs> now they weren't all at the same event, but it looked like something was really going on there. And it was, but we just weren't all in the same place, okay? And these people that go through these bridging events will become your friends. And they make some of the best candidates for your personal ministry's time in church. Now, I know that that's going the way of the dinosaur in a lot of our churches. But we would bring, we would have our missionaries. Of course, we lived, you know, we were close enough to Andrews University. During our Sabbath school, we could bring furloughed in, uh, missionaries down to South Bend all the time. They could do all the good stuff during our Sabbath school. But we featured our own missionaries during mission time. I remember distinctly one of those, one of those segments. A lady had been to a stress seminar program. And um, we had her up to interview, you know, during personal ministries time. She stood and told our congregation, I want you to know that these people saved my life. When I got the invitation to the stress management program, I was contemplating suicide. I'd be dead today if it weren't for these people. Okay? Does that bring a congregation alive? Does it, does it create a hunger in people's hearts to get involved? I mean, the time came, I remember one occasion, when my secretary said to me, Pastor, got a call today, okay? 
um, one of the members in the church called and said, when the pastor organizes a new group, we'd like to be involved. Wow, that's a new day in a pastor's life. <laughs> you know, you're not, it's not like pulling teeth. They wanted to be involved. And here's, here's the neat thing about it. As you will see on this list, I've given you ideas. I have found that people will talk about the things that they're familiar with. Uh, you know, Alden said yesterday, people are reluctant to give Bible studies because they don't think they can do it. He said it's all bottled up in here and it needs to be let loose. That's true. That's true. People love to talk about what they do. As I've gotten acquainted with many of you here, you know one of the first questions I ask is, where are you from and what do you do? Because <laughs> I know people like to do that, and that helps me to know who they are and what they're about and helps to get me acquainted with them, okay? People love to talk about their vocations. They feel very comfortable in their vocations. So if they're in the medical field, uh, you can tap into that resource. Oh man, that's such a resource. And there's just endless things you can do, see. But they feel very natural in that setting. If you have a person like I had out in New Mexico, like Wanda, she was a physical fitness person. Oh, I forgot to bring that t-shirt, dear. No, it's too late. I brought it all the way here to show it to you. Uh, on, anyway, Wanda was a physical fitness person, okay? And um, um, I said to, um, said to Wanda one day, you know, you could do a ministry with this. Really? Yeah. So we got to talking, and we decided that we would try and attempt to put together a walking club. Okay? Now, the doctor is not here this morning, but he'll tell you that's the best exercise, and he gets that from the servant of God. Okay, walking. So, we had a nice new mall in town, big enclosed mall. And so, we made an appointment with the manager of the mall to go talk to him. We went in there with fear and trembling, I can just tell you. We were very tentative. And we told him what we wanted to do. He said, I have been trying to get somebody to do that in my mall for months. <laughs> I have talked to a lot of people in this town, and nobody will do it. He said, when do you want to start? What facilities do you need? They provided, they, they paid for all of this. They provided a, a nice booth that was set right out in the walkway, one of the main intersections in the mall, okay? And we, we called it the Sneakers Walking Club. And, and um, he said, what do you need? He said, uh, you know, uh, we'll, we'll spread the word around them. Hey, look, the, the, the merchants in that mall loved us because we had people walking past their stores every day. See? And soon... Word got around, we had doctors beginning to prescribe their patients to our walking club. Amen. We reached people in that community who we could never have touched otherwise. We had people from the community, non-Adventists, saying, how can I get involved in this? Hey, we assigned them a place at the booth. They took their, they took their, their slot at the booth. Okay? They were some of our best advertisers. We had a little program that... Um, you could, we would issue you a certain color shoestring for your sneakers when you reached 100 miles, okay? And when you reached 250 miles, you got a different shoestring. When you got to 500 miles, you got a gold string. And so you could always tell at what level people were at by the color of the shoestrings in their tennis shoes. It was a great thing. Then we had other Adventist churches in, around us and people began to call from these churches and said, how can we get involved in this? Well, come on, we'll put you in the booth. We'll, you can help with our newsletter. You can do all kinds of stuff, see. People would come, they'd sign in, register, we had their name, they went into computer bank. And then we had, when we had another kind of event, 
we would advertise that way. We'd let them know. They don't always plug in, but where they have a felt need, when you, when you reach a felt need that they have, they'll come back, see. Well, what are you doing? You're building friends. You're building bridges to the community like Jesus did, see. You're breaking down prejudice. You are dissolving all of this misinformation people have about us so that when they get an invitation, this is why I say bridging ministries have a way of complementing public evangelism. When they get a, an invitation to a, a revelation seminar or, or, a, or a, um, a evangelistic campaign, they're more likely to come. Why? Because that church is no longer unknown to them. They have at least four, five, six friends. They've become acquainted with, they're personal friends with now. The church is no longer mysterious. They know what we're about. And the neat thing is, is this. You know, when people are walking or exercising, we've done aerobics classes. People come in from the neighborhood. You know, they're doing this stuff for three nights a week, so on and so forth. The interesting thing is, as, as Alden was saying, you know, this stuff is bottled up in you. You think you can't do it. You've got it all inside. You just haven't let it loose yet, see? As they're, as they're doing this stuff, things happen very naturally. You build relationships. People begin to feel comfortable with you. They see that you're not driving them, you know. You're not, you're not hitting them with a hammer. Um, and uh, they will relax. They'll become your friends. But when they become your friends, they have confidence in you. That's credibility. Remember yesterday we said that was the first element you need. You don't deal with strangers. You always deal with friends. When you have the credibility and they know it's safe, they'll begin to ask you questions. And then you answer them, let it go. They'll chew on it for a while, and they'll ask something else. And the thing of it is that witnessing sneaks up on people. They're witnessing, they don't even realize it, because it's all bottled up here. They know, you know, you know this message. You just have to ha have a way of releasing it. That's all I did, just simply broaden the options and challenge the people to take their hobbies. Um, in this um, aerobics program in Phoenix City, Alabama, right across the border from Georgia, um, there, a lady showed up one night. They'd been operating for about a month or so. And uh, a lady came into the, into the class one night. She told the director of that program, she said, I have been here four or five times. I've driven into your parking lot, turned off the key, gotten cold feet, started up the car and left. That happened four or five times before she actually had the courage to come in. Our greatest challenge is getting people across the threshold the first time. That's our greatest challenge. It's because of the mountain of misinformation out there about us that we have to somehow dissolve, okay? But when you've made friends with people, they have confidence in you, they're more likely to come because they'll get an invitation because they're in our computer bank, see? When you're ready to hold some spiritual event, evangelistic meetings, revelation seminar, whatever, they'll get an invitation to that. They may not come. It's all right. You know, Jesus used the fishing model as well. Didn't have time to talk about that. A lot of times fish will nibble on the bait for a long time until they actually take it. See? You've got to be patient. James says you've got to be patient for the harvest. That is the hardest problem. The farmer goes to bed at night, he gets up in the, in the morning, and the crops grow, he doesn't know how. He has to wait for that crop to ripen. And if you see your church and a community, and your community as a garden, it helps you to be more patient because you've got oak trees out there that are not gonna develop as quickly as your tomato plants, okay? or as your radishes. 
I thank God for the radishes. They're the ones that have already been reading the books that Jack's been giving them. <laughs> and and they, uh, they're ready. They see they're ready to, they're ready to harvest. Love those people. Don't discount the radishes just because they come quickly. But you've got to be prepared. You know, some of us have, have been locked into this idea. Well, we've got to run them through, you know, 24 weeks of studies. But I find a person who is already primed knows the message. For instance, I remember a couple that came to Wilmington, which was my last church down on the coast in North Carolina. Um, they showed up one Sabbath morning, and uh, Gloria happened to be greeting that day, which was good. Gloria's never met a stranger. She is a full-blown um, sanguine. Wonderful, wonderful compliment to my ministry. I'm type A, okay? I'm this goal-oriented, driven person, say, and she's helped to soften some of those edges on me. She's been such a blessing. Anyway, she was there. They told her that they had come a number of times to the church. This is why I say you need greeters in your parking lot. They had come to the church a number of times and, and had gotten cold feet and driven away. They, they even came to the point of coming to the front door of the church and they were ready to open the door and they got cold feet and they turned around and got back in the car and left. These people had been watching 3ABN. They knew the message. They'd been listening for a couple of years and that's another story in itself, how that happened. Do I spend 26 weeks studying with them? No. I sit down with them, I go over the baptismal certificate and make sure that they understand everything that's there. If they have any questions, we take time until they do understand. Okay? I believe in picking fruit when it's ripe, not when it's green. And don't wait till it starts to become overripe, because you can lose them that way too. See, the farmer sees when the crop ripens, immediately he does what? He puts in the sickle. He reaps it. Beautiful people they were. What a blessing they were to our church. But they'd already been, <laughs> I mean, they'd been watching 3ABN for a couple of years. I mean, they were, they, they were radishes ready to pick. <laughs> okay. Now you can do stuff. Oh, here's one under hobbies, under the hobbies section. I was, I was uh, presenting this seminar to one of our churches in Salt Lake City, and a couple of fellows came up to me after, the, after the, one of the sessions, and he, they said to me, you know, Pastor, we think we left our ministry. I said, you did? Yeah. When we became Adventists, we were members of a street rod club here in Salt Lake City. And because of all that was going on in that club, you know, the drinking, smoking, drugs, etc., they said we didn't feel comfortable anymore, so we, we, we dropped out of the club. Um, uh, but we feel we left our ministry. I said, friend, if you feel God's calling you back to that, go do it. So months later, they told me, I was working in the office at that time, um, months later, they told me, Pastor, you won't believe what's happened. Here they're leaning over fenders, you know, they're working on engines or they're on crawlers underneath, repairing, you know, taking out a transmission or whatever. While they're doing that, they're talking. They found guys that they had been friends with years before going through divorces. Their lives are upside down. Their kids are into drugs. All kinds of things are going on in their lives. These guys have an opportunity now to talk to them about what's happened to them since they accepted Jesus. See? What are they doing? They're doing what Jesus did. He went on the boats by the wayside, synagogue, to their parties, not to participate in their activities, see, but to be able to witness to them. That's what he did. And so I, uh, I encourage my people to take a, ho a hobby. You have a hobby that you, you, you like to do? Photography, um, um, 
needlepoint, um, quilting, um, model airplanes, model railroads. There's a whole list of hobbies here: stamp collecting, coin collecting. You know, any there's, there's just there's just no end to the things that you can do. Uh, find some people that'll come together with you in a small group, write a mission statement, and then reach out into the community. You'll find people out there that have similar interests. And so you do the normal stuff. You do the coin collecting stuff, you know, and, and you keep it low key. You gain their confidence as Jesus did. And in time, their hearts will open. And you'll find yourself witnessing without even realizing it. So easy, so simple. And all you've used is a, is a gift, an interest, a hobby, a vocation, whatever, that you feel very comfortable in and can use to advance the kingdom of God. Okay? Um, let's see. Uh, what else is on here that I want to talk about? Oh, here's one down in family life. Oh, hey. South Bend, we had a lady, her name was Doris. She had a master's degree in child psychology. She was a, you know, very outgoing person, bubbly, effervescent, you know, kind of person. And uh, I said to her one day, Doris, um, you know, you could use, you could use your, your degree as a ministry. Yeah. So, she gathered some people around her. They formed a little team. They started doing child, you know, family life stuff, children, etc. Started doing that kind of stuff. One of the largest daycare centers in South Bend opened their doors to them, free of charge. Free of charge, supplied all the materials. All Doris did was take the materials to them, and they duplicated them to give out in the, in the sessions. We were reaching people in that community who we'd never have touched otherwise. I mean, people who were important people in that community. Their families were in trouble. Their grandkids were in trouble. Doris had the opportunity of sharing with them stuff from child guidance. Adventist home. She didn't label it as such, but she was able to share this stuff with them. See? Building bridges. People came, registered, their names went into computer bank. When we had something else going, weight control, whatever, we started with what we had. Now today, with the 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 only got five minutes, with all of the resources video, DVDs, all this stuff. Anybody can take a video, break it down into segments, and with a few friends, form a team, and do a program. And then, with about 15 minutes of presentation, open up the next 45 minutes to talk about what they've just seen. It's so simple. And if they don't have the answers, you know, they, people may ask. Well, I'll see if I can find the answer. You know, just be very, very honest and open about it. I don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. You may ask questions here that I don't have an answer to. So I'm going to open it up for a few questions for the next few minutes. I'm sorry that I've taken so much time. Yes. And I went in one, a couple of years ago and asked if we could get a Bible study. Well, for YMCA, why not? Yeah, so sure. We went along with it. In fact, the head of the, the, head of the department was Catherine. Mm -hmm. And she allowed us to do it. And uh, up until a couple of weeks ago, I had about 20 or 25 people attending a weekly morning uh, Bible study. And about half of them were ministers and one Mm -hmm. They have a lot of Bible. And so I went in and uh, got them together, and now we have monthly meetings with them. And it was just there waiting to happen. Sure. The thing is, we have a family that goes to 
That's wonderful, but that's, see, that's an illustration of the kind of stuff you can do. Uh, let me share just one thing with you that's been on my mind that I want to try and get off the ground this year. Have you done cooking schools in the past? Okay. Let me suggest to you a new way of doing it. I'd like to try it. And we're going to try to pull two, three ladies together to do this in a little team in our rural town that we live nearby. We live 15 miles from the closest town, okay? So, but um, uh, it's called a cooking party. Anybody ever been to a Tupperware party or a toy party or a clothes party or whatever? Why not, why not do a cooking school that way? Take two or three ladies. We'll start what we'll do. How we'll start it is they'll, they'll prepare. You know, one night they'll do vegetarian entrees, another night um, uh, healthful desserts, you know. So that gives you an idea. One night you do something, each night you do something different for about four nights. Bread making, another good thing to do. But rather than hold it at the church, where people are a lot likely to come, hold it in their homes, in the neighborhood. Uh, and the way I have it envisioned to start it is, we'll have one of our members in our church in Waynesville, North Carolina. We'll have them invite, one of our ladies will invite her friends in the neighborhood in for a cooking party, okay? Now our team will go in to her home and conduct a cooking party. And then we'll offer a set of vegetarian cookbooks or whatever free to any of these ladies who have come in from the neighborhood that will have a party in their home and invite their friends in. Do you suppose that those people are going to be busy? I think so. I think so. They're reaching into people's own homes. That's, that's, that's also a challenge, see? Us getting into their homes, us getting them across the threshold of our churches. Those are all challenges. I think we can do it with a cooking party. We're going to try it. Anyway, any other questions? No, yeah. Okay. okay. Yeah. My wife and I start a neighborhood watch program. Uh-huh. Oh, hey. <laughs> Neat. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, any questions? Well, uh, the the asterisks, the ones that are marked with asterisks, we've been involved with it in some way. Sometimes it hasn't been personal. Sometimes I've helped a church get you know do one of these events. Um, but um, uh, that's what that's for. Okay. The others are ideas. I uh, haven't had time to get to these things, but maybe it'll, you know, burn a brain cell or two here, and you'll say, wait, I could do that, see? I've got an interest in that. I could do that. And you'll go home, and you'll find a few other people in the church. You'll form a little group. You'll, you'll write a mission statement. You'll get your pastor on board and, and uh, get involved in your community this way. Got about one minute. Any other questions? Well, I've done one or two things. I've either helped you or I've totally confused you. <laughs> one of the two. <laughs> one of the two. Yes, Jack. Thank you so much. Thank you, Jack. Well, thank you for what you've done this week. You've ignited a spark here this week. But uh, that's Jack. <laughs> and uh, we're thankful for him. We're glad to have him in our area. Uh, if there are no further questions, we're going to close with prayer. Okay? Father in heaven, thank you for laying out so clearly the simple plan that Jesus had to break down prejudice, to make friends, and to draw them to himself. Help us as we go back to our churches 
to see our churches and our communities in a totally different light. They're our garden. Help us to be good gardeners. Cultivate the plants, encourage them, nurture them toward maturity so that we might have a rich harvest. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.